All right, everybody. I'm going to run through some terms before we get started here. But first, I just wanted to welcome everybody to our Aging in America and its Financial Healthcare Implications space. This is sponsored by Quipped and Unusual Relations. Given that this is a sponsored space, it's important to note some of the terms of this space. So while we wait on the speakers to be all ready to go, I'm going to go ahead and run through this disclaimer. And it again, it is pinned at the top of the space as well for those wishing to read it and refer to later. This space is not financial advice. The stock market is risky and any trade or investment is expected to have some or total loss. Please do your own research before taking any trade or trading any derivatives. Do not use any information from this space for financial decisions or for investing. Additionally, unusual whales nor unusual relations are not responsible for any given promotion. It does not verify the authenticity of the promotion or partnership, nor the merits of the individual promotion. There's no endorsement directly of any one promotion. Please do your own due diligence and research before following any one promoted post and do not consider a promotion of a post to be advocacy for the sponsor of the post. Unusual Whales contracted by Unusual Relations who's being paid to promote the sponsor to run this space. All right, everybody, we can dive right into this. My name is Nicholas. I'll be the host of this space. I'll be running the questions, et cetera. Since this is a new kind of space we're trying, we'll be working with some physicians and companies to delve into this broader topic. Today, again, we'll be talking about aging in America and its financial implications. We're excited to have these great speakers who will provide their thoughts as always. Now, as those who frequent our unusual spaces know, I like to keep these panels very open and fluid for discussion. So as we go, all panelists that are involved, please feel free to discuss openly, add in your thoughts on any given topic that you want to add in some thoughts to. The only request that I have is when other speakers are speaking, please keep your microphone muted. Sometimes we get a lot of overhead, distortion, microphones battling with each other, some background noise. So if possible, if you have a point to add, please tap on the emoji to raise your hand here in the space, or at least wait until the previous speaker has finished speaking. So with all of that said, again, feel free to plug anything you're working on speakers as I introduce you here at the beginning. And as always, folks, we're fortunate to have many speakers, and I'll introduce them here. We first have Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He is a professor of medicine, economics, and health research policy at Stanford. He's also, fittingly for this space specifically, the director of Stanford Center for Demography and Economics of Health and Aging. He's also worked a lot on COVID and its effects largely. Welcome, Dr. Bhattacharya. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. And thanks for coming, of course. I'm excited to hear your input here. Next, we have Dr. Jesse Morse. He's a sports medicine physician specializing in regenerative medicine at the Osteopathic Center in Miami. He's discussed numerous sports injuries on Twitter, and we're excited to hear him discuss the injuries that are expected to occur with an aging population. Welcome, Dr. Morse. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming. Up next, we've got Dr. Janet Neshwat. She is a family and emergency medicine doctor. She's seen different healthcare around the world, leading medical relief missions, and is a medical news correspondent and medical director at City MD. Welcome, Dr. Hey, Neshwat. Hey, Nicholas. It's so great to be with you today. It's great to have you here. So we've got a lot going on in this space, and I believe we're waiting for 
one sponsor as well. So I do want to bring them up before we dive into it. Today's sponsor for the space is Quipped Home Medical Corporation, a home medical equipment provider. The company provides in-home monitoring and disease management services focused on end-to-end respiratory solutions for patients at home in the United States healthcare market. The company has over 270,000 active patients across 26 states and is focusing on patients with heart or pulmonary disease, sleep disorders, reduced mobility, and other chronic health conditions. We'll be having the CEO, Greg Crawford, joining our space later on. Unusual Relations has also joined the space, a company focusing on developing new investor relations with companies. They'll work with your company to help with PR distribution and audience growth. Thank you both for sponsoring. Check them out at unusualrelations.com. But for now, I think we can dive right in. So we're going to start with you, Dr. Bhattacharya. We'd like to take a look at something you published on the consequences of health trends and medical innovation for the future elderly. You concluded that, quote, is unlikely that a silver bullet will emerge to both improve health and dramatically reduce spending. Dr. Bhattacharya, can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so it's it's obviously uh, bad news as far as as uh, expecting a technological fix. Uh, just just very briefly on the the, the nature of the problem uh, and why we have it. Um, the, the the problem fundamentally is a problem of success, uh, except for the last couple of years for obvious reasons. Um, the life expectancy has been increasing very sharply throughout throughout the throughout the world. Uh, over the last, uh, you know, uh, several decades um, and longer even. The, that's actually good news, right? But at the same time, it puts tremendous pressure on uh, on countries to care for populations, uh, old, older populations, um, because you have much many more of them. And the, the the math of it is inexorable. Like so, if you look at uh, the projections, uh, the populations of many countries in the West, as, as well as you know, Japan, uh, Korea, uh, China, uh, the, the, we're going to be experiencing population actual population decline starting. In the next uh, next few decades, um, you know, if, if that, if for, the, for instance, just to give some sense of this, uh, Japan is is projected to decline from 120 million population to something on the order of 80 million within just within just a few uh, a few years, maybe a decade or so, um, mid to two or three decades. So you have uh, this this. Uh, the success, tremendous success of, of of keeping people alive longer, that comes with uh, consequences for demands on governments to care for these populations as, as they age. Uh, now, you might think that all, all what you need is just some some technological fix in order to to suppress to to, to keep populations healthy up until the you know the, the moment they die. Um, the problem is that the the math of it doesn't work. If you look at, for instance, uh, like, like, like just to, just a, something very very simple, and so you can think about, is imagine we had a cheap cure for cancer, something that cured every single cancer essentially for free. That would decrease the healthcare costs in one sense because you wouldn't be spending money on cancers. Let's say it was a really inexpensive cure, um, that would decrease healthcare costs, but it would keep patients alive longer, and they would then die of other things because you know that we don't have the technology and not going to ever have one that staves off deaths forever. And so you actually could increase or or only marginally decrease healthcare costs uh, in countries if you had a technology even that was cheap that cured cancer. So disease by disease improvements in technology 
while they're good for people, of course, because no one wants to die of cancer, there's, it's, and, and certainly worth investing in, is not a solution to the fiscal problem that governments face from aging populations. Um, uh, so I just so I, that's I think that that's really a fundamental message that uh, that these these things with, which I think we all think is good you know improvements in health and longevity uh, and, and improvements in technolo technology technology so that we can we can stay healthy for longer um, come with costs and it's costs that we ought to be willing to pay or at least think about paying we shouldn't expect them and hold them the standard of reducing expenditures and solve this fiscal problem which I, I honestly don't know a solution to. Thank you, Jay. And we'll definitely double back to that last point later on in the space as well, I think. For now, Dr. Neshwat, you've discussed at length policy and healthcare needs of the aging population on Fox and Friends. What do you think are the most necessary policy to address the economic needs of the aging U.S. population? And as well, if you have any comments on what Jay said, I'd love to hear Yeah, Yeah, um, I totally agree with, with what Dr. Jay said. Um, absolutely. You know, if you take a look at the average life, lifespan, around 73 years of age, um, and that may change as we advance our medicine, our technology, uh, which is a blessing, but, but bittersweet, because if you look at the state of the economy and the inflation that we're dealing with, although inflation has gone down um, recently, we're still triple of what we were, you know, uh, a year ago. So at about 3%. And so with a fast aging population, usually that means fewer people are working um, in the economy. But with inflation, we're seeing elderly, I'm seeing my elderly patients sadly come out of retirement, um, especially uh, because of the fact that a fifth of older Americans have had to spend, you know, two to $3,000 out of pocket on healthcare in the past month alone. So, you know, from a medical perspective, they're unable to make ends meet, meaning they're not able to get their insulin. They're not able to pick up their blood pressure medicines in a timely manner um, because of the cost of the other basic necessities. And, and so that's disheartening for me to see. Um, that's why now more than ever, I think it's critical that we really try to focus on having uh, consistent plans and protocols in place that focus on prevention, meaning are my patients getting their mammograms? Are they getting their colonoscopies? Do they qualify to have a PSA level checked? Um, do they have, uh, you know, a, a geriatrician or um, a PCP that understands um, what is the most prevalent medical conditions in their age group? And that way we stay two steps ahead of it so that we can tackle it, predict it, see if they have a family history, for example. Um, but all of this, you know, combined, it, if, if you think about it, um, it's, it's a strain as we get older, as we have an aging population, with more baby boomers, it's a strain on the healthcare system right now. And just uh, you know, think about what's one of the greatest financial burdens in our country, uh, on our on our government. It, it's healthcare. We spend about nine hundred, more than nine hundred billion dollars um, every year on healthcare. Medicare, seven hundred fifty-five billion dollars, and uh, and th those numbers are are growing. So taking that into consideration and and come and coming up with plans and protocols to address these these uh, complex issues and factors that we're seeing now that we didn't see 10 to 20 years ago um, is something that we really have to make changes. Otherwise, we're going to see more seniors that have uh, more progressive disease that aren't properly managed. Um, so it's it's sort of a, a, a cycle, uh, and it's 
more difficult and compounded by the fact that we have a shortage of doctors, especially primary care doctors, to help address and, and understand these needs. So, um, you know, we just uh, have to continue uh, debates and sessions like this one, Nicholas, in, in order to address these issues and promote awareness so that we can tackle and take care of our uh, elderly population who do have higher health care costs as older individuals typically do, um, which strains not only them, but also you know programs like Medicare, Medicaid, and even their families. I don't think anyone could have said that better themselves, Dr. Neshua. Thank, Thank you. you. Dr. Morse, a quick question for you. With your specialty in rehabilitative medicine, you've noted that many are using new varied treatment with or without evidence for healing injuries. So what are some of these medical equipments and what do you see as the economic impact of them? Great question. Um, so I, I approached the body a little bit differently. Uh, I started family medicine and then I decided that uh, big pharma and big insurance were, were making practicing primary care almost impossible. And I, I wasn't a big fan of seeing patients in 10 to 15 minute intervals and then spending three hours writing notes at the end of the day. So I decided to specialize in sports medicine. Uh, and then when that same mindset changed into sports medicine, I said, you know what, I'm going out of network and actually treating patients the way they deserve to be treated and seeing them for 45 minutes to an hour at a time. What I began is that when you get to actually listen to the patient and, and, and they tell you it's wrong, you can actually help to solve the problems with them. It's very hard to do in 10 to 15 minute intervals, especially if you're making them come back every week to basically finish the same conversation. What you start to see is a combination of accumulation of toxins uh, poor dietary habits, and then an addition of, of, of decreasing exercise, low vitamin D levels, and all of it starting to accumulate where their joints can no longer handle it. They're, they become, uh, you know, weaker and osteoporotic. And if they fall and, and were to uh, break a hip or, you know, break, uh, you know, injure their knee, it becomes much, much more difficult to, to, to ambulate, to move around, to even, you know, have a normal quality of life. So, you know, I'm more proactive than reactive, or at least I try to be. And many of the different technologies and treatments we're using, we've been using for 30 or 40 years. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's, it's a combination between the studies not wanting to be completed, or, or they just take so long to complete, and we've just been using them so long, we know they work. And, and the risk profile, profile is really low. Something along the lines of uh, PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, pulling blood out of the arm, spinning it down, grabbing the, the plasma and the, and the cytokines, and then injecting it back into the, the knee, hip, the shoulder, the low back, you know, wherever you want to put it. That's what I personally specialize in. But then you can take it a step further and either take bone marrow out or take stem cells out of your, your, out of your fat, out of your adipose. And they even have uh, stem cell lines uh, that are from either amniotic tissue or something called exosomes. And each of these are massive doses of, of anti-inflammatory agents that basically decrease uh, a lot of the inflammation, a lot of the issues, and help to restabilize the tissue so it can handle the load. My goal is to prevent someone from ever having to need a knee or hip replacement because your body uh, made the 
the perfect form of a joint. So you will never get an arthritic joint um, or excuse me, you'll never get a joint to be uh, perfect in the form of a metal joint. You know, you'll just never, the prosthetic is never as good as your original. So you ideally want to keep your original as long as you can. And unfortunately, uh, the poor dietary habits have led to increased obesity rates, which has led to an increased uh, injury uh, rate, uh, predominantly in the knee and the hip. And that has a kind of snowball effect. So people are uh, having to have surgery earlier because their joints cannot simply handle the amount of stress we've added to it. Then you add the amount of inflammation, you know, inflammation into the diet. And at that point, you, you, you know, they're completely inflamed. They're, they're in a lot of pain. They can't move a whole lot and, and they're just, they're, they're miserable. So I work uh, in, in my clinic on not only decreasing the issues directly at the joint level, if they want that, but I also remove a lot of the toxins, whether it's heavy metals or mold or, uh, you know, any chronic uh, viruses or, uh, you know, COVID or, or Lyme disease or anything along those lines, those are often uh, underlying issues that are often uh, overlooked and, and they're, they're causing significant detriment to the body. All right. Now, does anybody, before we move on to the next question, have anything to add to what any of the other panelists have said thus far? All right, so Dr. Jesse and Dr. Neshwat both spoke about increases in costs and an increase in underlying issues. Dr. Bhattacharya, you wrote in your 2004 paper, Disability Forecasts and Future Medicare Costs, that, quote, cost forecasts for the elderly that incorporate information about disability among today's younger generations yield more pessimistic scenarios than those based solely on elderly data sets. And this information should be incorporated into official Medicare forecasts. Now, Jay, how do you see the disability landscape in the aging U.S. population currently. Thank you for that, Nicholas. So, so in, in two, yeah, in two thousand four, uh, what we were looking at was a rising obesity and chronic disease in working age populations, uh, and we were forecasting that forward to to you know as 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 as, as these folks aged, uh, what would happen to them relative to what you know what what had happened to their parents. Remember, we're talking about a background where life expectancy is increasing while at the same time chronic disease obesity and and, and its consequent diseases that come with obesity are, are also increasing and so you have a long-lived relatively unhealthy population and, and when you forecast that forward it it makes for a kind of depressing reading actually uh, the, 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 um, the, the, in a sense like again it's a, it's a it's a success that we are living longer uh, and but it's but we have not had very much success in addressing the underlying chronic disease problems in the population. Uh, obesity rates, in particular, have continued to rise since that forecast in two thousand four, and many of the, of the projections that we made, uh, at least qualitatively, have come to pass. Uh, that we we now actually have a population in the United States, and actually in uh, uh, in, in much of much of uh, many other developed countries, of long lived, relatively unhealthy people. 
Um, the technological fixes for this um, are, are, you know, people have continued to try to uh, to find technological fixes. For instance, Ozempic, this this uh, anti obesity drug, um, and, and and other things. I mean, I think I, I I very strongly think that it's a good idea to try to find these. But the, the fundamental issue, which is the uh, the population itself, is becoming less and less uh, metabolically healthy, less and less uh, sort of. Uh, fit um, while still living longer has it hasn't been solved, and I don't see anything on the horizon technologically that would address that. Um, and, and, but and, and, and until that happens, what ha what we'll have will is technological uh, fixes and technological proposals that will address particular needs. And again, I'm I'm in favor of those things, uh, but they will not address the fiscal challenges of caring for population. So for instance, in particular, Medicare, which in the United States pays for uh, health insurance for people over 65 and for, for severely disabled populations. Um, the, the fiscal challenge for Medicare are tremendous. Uh, the the uh, um, Part A trust fund is, is scheduled to go bankrupt some, sometime around 2030, uh, you know, not, not, not that many years from now. Uh, the, 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 the fixes basically that have been uh, implemented for Medicare spending over the last uh, de dec uh, decade or so have essentially focused on trying to limit expenditure growth. That is that what that means is pay less, um, you know, pay, pay less to doctors, pay less to hospitals, and of course, there's tremendous pushback from um, those those groups, uh, pay, you know, the, to to try to to to, to, to reverse that. Um, so what we have is is a uh, I mean a, a situation where I think if if we if we are look at it seriously we may we may come to some some conclusion about what to do but it's going to involve fundamental trade offs unless there's some um, magic bullet that actually uh, uh, makes us age and stay healthy at the same time which I I've not seen um, the, the 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 kinds of technological advances we've had are likely to increase not decrease the kind of tension we're going to face in coming years over the uh, over 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 the over, over our, the fiscal pressures uh, of caring for older populations. Thank you, Jay. Does anybody have anything to add to what Jay just said? Yeah, please. I'd like to comment on a, a couple of things. Yeah, please. So I think uh, a lot of the problem, especially in American medicine, is uh, we are way too reactive and not proactive enough. Uh, rarely is a physician comfortable with discussing nutrition and discussing really anything uh, related to nutrition. Uh, most uh, physicians don't have the time to discuss nutrition. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, uh, the American diet is, is awful and all the different additives that are put into the food and just the fact that, that uh, gluten has changed probably 30 times over, our body doesn't have any idea what to do with it. And all the different seed oils are, are further causing further information. The issue with American medicine and, and I would say medicine in general is that we're doing a lot of managing. We're not treating. When I, when I see a patient that says, hey, when – and you had a heart attack. When, when is the expectation that you're going to be off your blood pressure medicine when you die? That's not a management, excuse me, that's not a treatment, that's a management. So that's the assumption is that the medicine is only good when you, when you take it, but you're not treating anything. You're just waiting for it to not get worse. Why don't you actually address the core issue and remove a lot of the issues that are causing these problems 
and also improve the mitochondrial health of that person so that they can actually heal and boost their immune system. So you don't have to worry about if they come in contact with XYZ virus or bacteria or whatever, because their immune system is strong enough, they can actually treat it. And Nicholas, if I just may add, I really think that Dr. Jesse and Jay just hit the nail on the head. And we really do need to uh, see this paradigm shift away from just diagnosis and treatment to more of prevention, education, and ensuring accessibility of affordable, high-quality health care, especially for those um, who have difficulty, Hispanics, African-Americans, those in, in rural com communities, um, poverty-stricken communities um, that uh, don't understand the importance of prevention. And as a primary care doctor and emergency medicine doctor, you know, when you think about what are the top killers in our country of Americans, it, it's heart disease, it's cancer, it's accidents, all of which are preventable. Really, really good point. So I do want to hear a little bit from Greg here, uh, someone who excels in providing affordable and high quality health care there at Quift. Greg, can you hear us? Yes. Perfect. Good afternoon. Beautiful. Good afternoon. Thanks for coming, man. I'm glad that we're able to get you up here now. So I, I do have a question specifically for you, Greg, here. Welcome back. Now, Dr. Neshwat there at the beginning spoke about the increase in medical costs that are growing exponentially and exceptionally. For those who don't know, Quipped is a respiratory and a home medical equipment provider. Um, in Quipped's recent earnings report, Greg, you said the company continues to experience robust demand for respiratory equipment, such as oxygen concentrators, ventilators, as well as the CPAP resupply and other supplies business. And you also reported a customer base increase of 58% year over year to 140,515 unique patients served in fiscal Q3 2023. And Greg, a couple questions here on that. Where is that increase coming from? And how much can be contributed to an aging population in the U.S.? And how does the company handle population decline and age, as Jay and Dr. Neshwat said? Yeah, absolutely. All very good questions in that. I mean, we've got some really bullish tailwinds in our industry in that that's really kind of propelling it. But just to kind of back up, the DME market itself in that is sitting at about $60 billion. It's uh, uh expected to grow to over $80 billion in that. So it's growing at about 5 to 6% a year. Um, and some of the things that are kind of uh, pushing the industry and in that forward in that for demand, and that would be the aging population. You've got 10,000 people expected to turn 65 or older every day. There's over 16 million COPD sufferers in the, in the U.S. Those are some of our key target um, markets. And then as it relates to sleep therapy and that for sleep apnea, which is a, a big part of our market, it's estimated that there's uh, over 24 million uh, Americans in that that are undiagnosed that are suffering from uh, severe sleep apnea. Uh, so there's no shortage in that of uh, patients out there that could potentially need our services. Thank you, Greg. So a couple of follow-up questions to that. And then, Jay, after these next few questions, I'll have you chime in with your thoughts as well. Um, so, Greg, what is the size of the DME market? And could you also explain DME for those who don't know? Yeah, sure. So 
like I said before, the estimated uh, market right now is about $60 billion. Uh, it, it's growing organically at about 5 to 6% a year. And the DME market, and that just DME stands for durable medical equipment, and that, so that would be items, and that primarily on the respiratory side is what our company provides, such as home oxygen services, CPAPs, BiPAPs. Um, we also provide other types of equipment solutions, such as ambulatory aids, uh, uh, mobility devices, hospital beds, wheelchairs, uh, different things like that. Uh, we also carry all, all, all kinds of different um, medical supplies, whether it be wound care, urological type supplies. Thank you. Um, so just to kind of piggy tail off of that, with that reiterated, does Quip see a positive effect of aging on the company itself? Yes, absolutely. And that, I mean, that's why we're uh, seeing the robust uh, growth in that that we've seen in that within our company and that really even over the past five years in that or so and that the company's basically went from about $50 million in revenue uh, now and that to performing out and that to uh, just about over $240 million now. Uh, some of that has came from acquisitions and that as uh, we've consolidated and expanded across the United States. Thank you. So real quick, before we move into that line of thinking, I know Jay had something to mention as well from a previous question, and then I do want to kick it around the panel for any other comments before we move on. Jay? Thanks, Nicholas. So uh, I, uh, I had a one, one thought that occurred to me is after uh, from listening to this discussion. Um, one thing that's very important we haven't really talked about is that uh, people differ very, very much in their capacity to access these these technologies. Like the, some the technologies are vital for managing chronic disease for many people, um, but not everybody can afford it. Uh, and that uh, that that sort of that fact is is actually qu uh, quite important when you think about what 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 the technologies will do if if they if, they, if they're expensive and you have. Medicare covers them, you know, like through the, the, this DME program, um, for, through, through like you know a, a DME, and that you 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 can you can basically get it if you're over sixty five, um, but uh, but you know if you if you uh, if you if you have technologies that are um, uh, not accessible through through insurance, and and a lot of them a lot a lot of like uh, the some of the emerging technologies, it first it 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 poses a challenge for the companies themselves because then they can't get a market for them, but also. Uh, to me, even more importantly, it you create this like uh, this sort of uh, you, you exacerbate this sort of inequality in society where the uh, where the very the, the relatively well off have access to to um, uh, technologies that make their lives better that, that manage the chronic diseases they have, while at the same time for 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 uh, for people who are less well off, especially since it's not covered through through insurance, they what they don't have access to these technologies. They just sort of uh, exacerbates whatever income inequalities there are by introducing or exacerbating health health inequalities, especially for uh, technologies that are effective. So these are like major challenges, I think, from a policy perspective, because if yeah, if you just cover if if insurance covers things, and it's just you know you have this this fiscal problem um, uh, of of being able to finance it uh, as the population ages. If it, insurance doesn't cover it, you have this uh, this sort of uh, inequality driving uh, this this inequality is sort of ex exacerbating, getting much worse, uh, expanding from just income into into health. I'd like to just add, if I may, um, how critical. Uh, 
Greg, when, it, when it comes to Quip and Greg, um, from a medical perspective, from an outside perspective, the, the necessity and the valuable need for durable medical equipment truly it can be life-saving. You know, I uh, worked on the front lines of COVID in New York, where we were once the epicenter of the world. And, you know, at the beginning, I had patients who uh, tested positive for COVID. All they needed was home oxygen. But if they come in and see me in the emergency room or in urgent care at 7, 8 o'clock at night, I have one tank, uh, two tanks at max. And, and so we were forced to, to send them to the hospital because they didn't have, you know, access to simple tank of home oxygen to keep them out of the hospital. So it, it's so important, so critical. There's such a great need. So I, I thank you for what you're doing, Greg. And also when you think about it, uh, also from another uh, viewpoint, 12 out of 100 adults, 18 and over, are cigarette smokers. And they start young, unfortunately, whether it's with vaping or marijuana, and then they proceed to um, regular tobacco, nicotine use, and they get hooked and they progress to emphysema, COPD, lung cancers. How many of them do you see that end up needing um, low dose, low flow uh, oxygen? And so, um, again, points to the value of this durable medical equipment and, and the necessity for accessibility and affordability. Really great points. And I think I would agree with you entirely. So on that note, Greg, can you comment on what Jay just said, how DME and insurance affects Quip's outlooks going forward and uh, how one can follow this trend going forward, given that the revenues have grown year over year and how your durable and respiratory equipment continue to be resilient and reliable, as Dr. Neshwatz just said? Yes, absolutely. We pay a, uh, play a key role in that in the healthcare ecosystem and that uh, overall, especially when you're looking at these hospitals like she was referring to there and that the need to get these patients out of the hospital into the home setting, which Medicare, these insurance companies know this is the least all uh, costly alternative in that uh, to provide the proper care for these patients in the comfort of their own home. And that's really where we come into play. Uh, uh, for us, it's really getting our uh, name out there and that uh, speaking to uh, physicians and different referral sources and that about the equipment and the services that we provide and that that these patients can benefit from. Uh, one thing is too is that the services that we provide are primarily covered by insurance companies. And in fact, we've even seen some expansion of coverage and, and, and coverage uh, criteria and that for some of these items in that um, become uh, a little less lapsed in that since uh, the pandemic and that. So our, our demand just continues to grow very strongly. Thank you, Greg. Sorry about that. Forgot to turn my microphone back on. So real quick, I do want to pivot here a little bit to a report that Jay had put out. In a recent report, Jay, you spoke about the four main keys to future pension and healthcare spending, specifically old age dependency ratio, labor force participation rate, the pension participation rate, and the pension generosity in the future. Can you explain uh, which of these factors are most important for an aging population? Well, so they're they're all they all sort of work together to uh, to, to to sort of determine both uh, the availability of 
of fine of, of of you know money but for governments to pay for healthcare and uh and and the quality of aging for for the populations of, of people as they age um so so for instance the labor labor force uh labor force participation rates um the the um the, the, what's happened over the last decades is that the the the, the number of el elderly uh, individuals who qualify for pension benefits, for for you know social security, for for health health insurance and healthcare benefits, um, uh, is is expanded along with the size of those populations. Uh, was, and of course, there's tremendous inequality, especially in 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 uh, the availability of pension be uh, pe pension benefits and so on. Um, uh, while at the same time, the war the the workforce per uh, per work per per person that's on support has has, has decreased. Um, I mean, I think uh, in the uh, 1980s, the number of workers per retired person people were was something on the order of four, and now it's on something on the order of two 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 and a half. Um, so you have fewer workers supporting the. Uh, the the well-being of older older populations it's going to put a lot of pressure both on the the, the, the workers for, to, to 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 have enough you know sort of have have enough output to support the the needs of the the the, uh, the elderly population um, and so what what's uh, what what how do you square this circle like so you end up in a situation where uh, a, a lot of our politics has to do with um, the, the the fact that the math just doesn't work you 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 uh you have to you have to like you don't you don't want to reduce the amount of benefits that older older folks get because the, you know the quality of life really depends especially for people on fixed income on the availability of, of pension benefits social security benefits and of course the availability of excellent health care uh so that people can have a uh, a retirement that's uh, that's uh you know that, that with, with with a high quality of life at the same time you have um Workers with with tax rates that are that uh, that that are that are higher, um, you 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 end up with uh, sort of uh, uh, a sense that, that that people won't be able to like um, keep the promises that they, that they're that the governments won't be able to keep the promises they make, and so you end up with politics of essentially like politics across generations that are uh, more more adversarial than maybe they had been when the when the population wasn't shrinking and getting getting older and older. Um, so I think that's really the fundamental thing. I don't know. Again, I don't have an answer to this, um, but I do see the tension. I don't see how that tension decreases in the future, and I, you know, I think technology is going to be a very important contributor to try to help with this. I don't. Again, I don't. I'm not optimistic, particularly that technology will solve that particular tension, even as it make does make the lives of people, um, but potentially better if they if they, you know if they're effective in uh, in you know like uh, in 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 addressing uh, particular health needs. Thank you much, Jay. So, Greg, since we missed you there at the beginning, I do have a few follow-up questions given the discussion thus far. Sure. First, organic growth in Quip has picked up above where it has been historically per your earnings report. Uh, what do you see as the leading factor contributing to this, Greg? Yeah, there's no question. It's, it's the demand for the products and that that uh, we've been discussing in that today. You also recently, Greg, received national contracts with United Health and Aetna. What do these contracts do for you, and is there more to get? Have recent acquisitions helped out in this area? Yes, absolutely, and that kind of landing two national contracts with uh, two of the largest payers inside the United States, and that is really significant for us. 
And really what it does is it gives us the ability in that to continue to expand our continuum of care across the United States in that uh, with these contracts and that to be able to serve more lives um, without having to worry whether or not we can accept the insurance. Uh, and there's no question in that that uh, uh, the geographical expansion in that that we've seen over the past several years and that basically growing uh, from about seven states to now 26 uh, states with over 115 locations. And that has been a big factor in that along with and that the quality of care and that that we've provided these patients that's helped us obtain these national contracts. So we think there's uh, still several more to go. We're also working on different regional type contracts also to continue to add uh, more potential lives that we can serve. And so kind of in that same vein of thought, it's understood that Quipped recently made an investment in DME scripts for e-prescribing. Will the future aging population be more technologically advanced? And if so, how will that affect care in the future, Greg? Yes, uh, DME Scripts, that was an independent uh, e-prescribing company specifically in that for durable medical equipment and supplies. Uh, so essentially it gives the physician and that the ability in that to order this equipment and that online uh, really helps reduce a lot of the burdensome paperwork, reduce a lot of the friction points in that uh, to get patients uh, set up uh, timely in that on, on equipment. Uh, so there's no doubt that uh, e-prescribe in that uh, is the future of DME. If you go back uh, a couple decades ago or maybe even more in that, you've seen the same thing kind of happen in that in the uh, uh, pharmacy benefit in that where most prescriptions and that are now all coming over in that electronically and that to your pharmacy and that you're really not getting a handwritten prescription. And that has not happened yet in DME. So we think that's still a game changer uh, for us in the future. Thank you, Greg. Really great responses there. So real quick before we move on to the next panel uh, question, does anyone on the panel have any comments on what Greg said? Maybe any, any opinions or feedback on the, the future of e-prescribing? I would just say it's definitely a necessity, especially when you're not in the office. So looking forward to it. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm going to move into our next line of questions here. Uh, the Atlantic recently reported that 90% of all healthcare goes to those aged above 80. With an aging population, we were hoping to discuss how an increasing aging population that will peak in age around 2032 and the general impacts on the economy. Dr. Neshawat, how would an aging population um, affect the public sector's ability to fund health care? For example, Japan has shown that relying on labor markets such as like social contributions to raise public sector revenues and pay for health and other services will lead to fewer public revenues per person over time. Dr. Neshwa, do we think that we'll go down that path, given what Jay said about worker responsibility to have enough output? Gosh, you know, it's a possibility, but I hope not, you know, but when you get reach a certain age, for example, uh, in the field of uh, family medicine and preventative care, we stop doing certain tests. We don't go chasing. For example, we'll stop doing colonoscopies. We'll stop doing PCA, uh, you know, prostate uh, testing and screenings. So it, it might be a washout. It, it really depends on at that age, once you hit that age, 
what are your current medical conditions? What's your current status? Um, and, you know, what medications are you taking? So, you know, are you suffering from a chronic disease or are you blessed with good health? Maybe uh, take no medications. That, that's a rarity. A lot of our seniors have a, at least one or two comorbidities, you know, like hypertension or hyperlipidemia or, or atrial fibrillation and requiring, you know, anticoagulants. Um, but then some doctors, uh, they have the discussion with their patients how aggressive do you want to be with your health? Are you, a co you know, coherent? How's your cognitive um, mental stability and stamina? Do you want us to go all out? Uh, do you want to just do the, the minimum? And, and so it's a case-by-case, -case, uh, 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 individualized, customized um, situation. I don't think it's a blanket one-size-fits-all. And again, it's just a, a matter of of where you are uh, at uh, in regards to your health and what is the your baseline. Thank you. I think that makes perfect sense. So kind of in that same vein of thought, currently the census has shown that the U.S. population is older than it's ever been, with the nation's median age now over 38. Currently, 16.5% of the U.S. population of roughly 328 million people, or 54 million, are over the age of 65, as the latest census showed. By 2030, that number is expected to rise to 74 million. Now, Dr. Bhattacharya, is the U.S. prepared for this increase in an aging population? Uh, no, we're not. I think um, but we're not alone in that. Uh, basically, uh, almost every developed country on Earth is facing exactly that same demographic problem. And the U.S., if in, in some ways, is, is better off because we, are, we actually uh, have... Uh... Looks like we've lost you there, Jay. All right, we're going to circle back to that question once he reconnects. Looks like we're having a connection issue there with his microphone. So, Greg, given this U.S. Census info, Quipped in its last earnings noted a bullish regulatory environment. How do we expect the regulatory environment to change as the population ages, Greg? Yeah, we, uh, the <clears throat> reimbursement regulatory environment in that for the DME space and that has been uh, quite favorable in that uh, for providers and that for the past several years. Uh, uh, once, as I had mentioned earlier in that, uh, we've even seen on, on the post the pandemic in that CMS in that which makes these rules and that for qualification of this equipment, uh, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they've opened up access in that for one of the key product categories, home oxygen, uh, where they've removed some of the burdensome paperwork. They've also opened up coverage in that for patients in other uh, uh, categories in that, uh, whereas prior a patient would have to be in a uh, chronic stable state before they would actually qualify. Now they could show up into the emergency room and, and the physician would be able to uh, prescribe home oxygen should they meet the uh, uh, testing criteria there. Uh, so those are the kind of things that uh, we, we continue to see in that in our industry and in that which just allows us to serve more patients. Uh, but I think ultimately in that uh, that the uh, CMS is seeing that uh, we actually provide a service and a lower cost solution in that to the overall healthcare system. And that is we're removing um, some of the burdensome in that off of these hospital systems, which are already overstretched. So you've also, you actually called this the strongest regulatory environment in over a decade. Can you touch on why that is? Yeah. Uh, 
uh, one of the items in that really kind of driving the foundation of that and that is the industry was subject to a program called the Durable Medical Equipment Competitive Bidding Program, uh, which was first implemented in uh, uh, 2010. Um, and they were on uh, bidding cycles every three years. So we had 10, 13, 16, and 19. 19 ended up getting delayed until uh, to, uh, 2021. And then in 2021, CMS uh, had published that uh, they were going to remove all of the product categories, 13 product categories, which was essentially everything that Quip provided in that to its patients under that coverage. Uh, from uh, the competitive bidding program. And the reason they were going to remove it uh, was because they didn't achieve the expected savings. Uh, so I think it kind of points to that uh, something we had thought as a company and really as an industry is that they had, quote, and that there was no more meat left on the bones for them to do that. And then I also uh, believe in that that on the backside of the pandemic here, they seen that the DME industry and that uh, uh, once again could really be a part of the solution to deliver quality care at home at a less expensive cost. Perfect. Thank you, Greg. Jay, looks like we've got you back. If you'd like to continue your thoughts here on the U.S. preparedness for an aging population. Hi, sorry, I was I, was, I disconnected somehow. Um, uh, the, the the problem the problem for the for the um, for the future is that that seventy four million that you mentioned, uh, Nicholas, is is a, is, a, is a, an enormous fiscal challenge. It's, it's not just seventy four million people. It's seventy four million people. Um, that will have tremendous health healthcare needs. Uh, that will have tremendous needs for our social needs. Um, well, the, the, just to give some sense of this, um, the kinds of, of physicians that we have now um, uh, uh, will have to be will 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 need many more oncologists, many more cardiologists, many more geriatricians. Um, our, the, the, the set of nursing homes we have now are, are inadequate to to to, uh, to, to, to uh, care for a population that size, and the financing of all that is also inadequate. Uh, and, uh, and and of course, it's uh, there's there's tremendous inequality in this as well. So where 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 you have a, a lot of poor elderly, they're going to be there. Uh, so how do you how do you address that? It's going to take a fundamental change in how we think about healthcare in this country. Um, and it's not I should say it's the United States in some ways is better off than than much of the the uh, rest of the developed world because our population, while it's aging, is aging slightly slower, slower than the than some of the other other uh, other countries. And, you know, Japan, for instance, has faced tremendous aging. It's going to take a concerted effort and honesty from our our our, our policymakers to set to tell uh, the population to expect there to be fundamental decisions we have to make um, regarding investments. And I just, just want to keep, uh, uh, just emphasize again and again, it's not, uh, we can't expect a technological silver bullet. Technology may play a role, uh, but it may actually make the, the fiscal problem worse um, because it, it, uh, it, you know, extends life while at, at, at expensive things. We, so we have to make fundamental decisions about what we want to invest in as a society. And I think those, those conversations are going to happen uh, it, 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 uh, in, in a very sharp way over the next coming decade. Thank you, Dr. Bhattacharya. Kind of, I mean, this goes right in line with what we were discussing. Dr. Neshwat, others have argued for a U-shaped recovery for economic growth with an aging population where health investment plays a significant role in promoting economic growth. And there is an inverted U-shaped relationship between population aging and the economic yeah. growth. 
Could health investment further benefit populations, Dr. Neshwat? Nicholas, I lost you. Can you repeat your question? Yeah, absolutely. So others have argued for a U-shaped recovery for economic growth with an aging population where health investment plays a significant role in promoting economic growth. And there's also an inverted U-shaped relationship between population aging and economic growth. Could health investment further benefit populations? I, I, I absolutely. And I think it starts with investing in your health at a younger age. And going back to being a primary care doctor and an ER doctor, um, prevention, education at a young age, at an early age, and encouraging and ensuring, again, affordable, accessible health care with trusted uh, primary care doctors or internists who can lay the foundation and the, and the groundwork for you to make sure you understand the importance of your health at a younger age so that it carries with you throughout life. Um, so what, what, I, what do I mean by, by uh, health investment? I know you're talking about the financial aspect, but um, from my perspective is understanding the importance of getting 150 minutes of activity each week, according to the American Health Association, making sure that you're not smoking, making sure that you're managing your stress, making sure that you're getting sufficient hours of sleep, seven to eight hours of sleep, and, and making sure that your weight and your BMI is in within normal limits because what leads to the number one cause of death in this country obesity leads to heart disease diabetes leads to heart disease uh, you know high blood sugars sedentary lifestyle high cholesterol leads to heart disease they're one of the top killers in this country so if we can invest in educational campaigns uh, educational programs uh, diabetes education health education in the communities can that have a positive impact uh, for the long term? Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful response. I think investing in your health in general, even on an individual basis, is really important. Although the last time I tried that a few weeks ago, I broke my arm. So here we are. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we have our sports doc on, on with us can take care of you. Right, Dr. Jesse? Yeah, it picks me right up. <laughs> So, Greg, the last question that I've got today is going to go to you. Jay spoke about underserved populations, and Dr. Neshwat spoke about growing health investments in education. Now, I know QUIP does education specifically. What are the current trends impacting the need for at-home respiratory treatment, and does the undiagnosed and or unserved populations look like across your major categories, Greg? Yeah, I think one of the major categories in that that uh, we really look at that, you know, could have the uh, biggest impact would be on uh, sleep apnea. Uh, we just continue to see very, very strong demand in that for those types of devices. Uh, it's estimated there's over 24 million in that un undiagnosed in that uh, that could potentially have severe sleep apnea. Uh, uh, so that's a big category, uh, not to mention in that the over uh, 14 million COPD suffers and that that's estimated in, in the U.S. Thank you, Greg. So what I want to do here, it looks like Jesse had to drop off a little early due to being busy, other engagements, which is perfectly fine. But what I want to do is just kind of run down our remaining panelists for any closing thoughts on the subject, anything you wanted to add that you might not have been able to get to. And again, as always, feel free to bring up or plug anything you're working on or anything you feel the listeners should be paying attention to moving forward. Let's go ahead and start here with Jay. Any closing remarks here? 
I mean, I think uh, it, it, I've been been uh, saying very pessimistic things through this whole whole uh, spaces event, but I, I have to say that there, it's not all. Uh, it's not all, all bad. I think um, we have to. The, the key thing is to say, what do we want to invest in? These as tech, new technologies come out, uh, we have to remember we sh we shouldn't necessarily require them to like lower spending. I, and I completely agree with uh, Dr. Neshwat's uh, emphasis on on um, uh, uh, individual. Uh, things that you can do to improve your health, sleep, uh, improve nutrition, a focus on 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 you know metabolic health. Uh, I think a lot of these things are are, are actually don't involve very expensive interventions, but but uh, they do involve uh, a a kind of a, a, a reorientation of our our thinking. Um, I, I do at the same time. I do think that the next few years are going to be very challenging, and I don't want to sugarcoat that. Thank you for thank you for the opportunity to talk with with you all. Bye. And thanks for coming and giving your expertise. Very useful for this panel, Jay. Thank you. Greg, do you have any closing thoughts, anything you wanted to touch on, maybe about Quipped or about the environment we're seeing with aging populations here? Yeah, I think primarily with the aging population and that, and then as it kind of relates to Quipped and that, I mean, we're sitting in a very good spot in that to really uh, be able to remove uh, some of the burdensome and that off of uh, the traditional healthcare system and that uh, with being able to treat patients in, in their home. Uh, and also at the same time, it's very cost effective and that for uh, in insurance companies to do so. And I think that's why we continue to see a very, very strong demand for our products for the very foreseeable future. Thank you, Greg. And thanks again for coming. Um, really good feedback here, especially on the topic of DMEs and their importance moving forward. Thanks again for coming, Greg. Yes, thanks, everyone. Dr. Neshwat, last but not least today, do you have any closing remarks or anything you wish you could have talked a bit uh, more about and didn't yes, get to? I just want to say thank you so much, Nicholas, to you and Unusual Wales. And it's such an honor and privilege to be on with you and, and Greg and Dr. Jay and Jesse. Um, you know, we, we all age. And I think one of our greatest investments is, is in ourselves and in our health. And I'm a huge proponent of prevention. And I just want to point out the value of getting your routine yearly physicals because uh, we, us doctors, we're not here just to take care of you when you're sick, but uh, keep in mind that early detection is is the key to better outcomes and, and usually uh, better prognosis when it comes to disease. Beautifully said, Dr. Neshawan. Thank you again for coming. To all of our listeners, if you want to stay on top of all of the information we spoke about today, please follow all of our speakers. They're experts in their fields really good takes and they're keeping people up to date on what's going on with healthcare in the U.S. and aging population. So please make sure to be following them for their takes on a broad array of topics. Thanks everybody for coming. If you came in late or you missed anything, you didn't miss anything, this was recorded as always and will be released later as an Unusual Whales podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod. Thanks again to our sponsors, Quipped and Unusual Relations. And of course, to Dr. Neshwat, Dr. Bhattacharya, Dr. Morse, and our man, Greg. Thanks for coming, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. <laughs>